let's go ahead and get into let's go ahead and get into Black Widow. Keith, describe. Sorry, I'm googling uh, the movie Gung Ho. Um, <laughs> I was googling Mr. Mom. Welcome to another episode of the MacGuffin Podcast, the movie review podcast that dreams are made of. Keith Bosser from San Diego, California. You are here with us as usual, as well as our guest. We promised last week that we had a guest, and uh, we're bringing on friend of the podcast, Patrick, formerly of Make Dad Read Comics and Almost Educational, of which we've both been uh, guests on as well. Mm-hmm. Except I don't think my episode. Uh, I did oh, one. I know my, I did a, a oh, no. one or was... two episodes, but I am I am definitely putting you on blast for the Harry Potter episode with Mike Fallick uh, that never came out, will never come out, is lost to the annals of time. But you know what? It was a gr- honestly, it was a great conversation, and it was just like a good time. So Keith, like what you're talking about, there's a moment, there's a. There's a period at the end of Almost Educational where there's four episodes recorded. They're all stellar. And, like, they're all on my end, all lost for different reasons. Uh, and yours was number two in that. And, like, it was part of the reason, like, I just threw my hands up. That, and like, Dennis, like, just couldn't do it anymore. Like, that was the ultimate decision that they call it. But, like, just couldn't do it. Like, uh, like I don't know what happened. Like, I just had, like, the worst streak of bad luck in the entire world. Uh it was yours. I mean, I it like, happens. Oh. It happens to the best of you, us. You mm. and Mike recorded fine. Me, I was like robot voice. Like, uh, 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 and I couldn't. Right? I was like, well, I'll sit down for two hours and re-record my points. I was like, I can't do that. Uh, so, oh yeah, sorry. no, that's insane. I'm, I'm, and it was I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Super <laughs> weird. Like, I, Wait, I, I do you want to do you want an update? I've watched every I've watched every single movie what? during COVID lockdown of Harry Potter. Every movie ever. Every oh, single oh, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every I, I, single I, one. You were like, I watched every single movie. I was like, ever? Like, ever. Uh, of, of the AFI American so, film? What I like, did was what I, are we talking I, here? I, I put on pit Viper sunglasses and like just like laid back with NyQuil. I know. I, uh, I um, watched all the Harry Potter films. Okay. Start to finish. This, this episode is not about Harry Potter. Sorry. So just quick, uh, quick Reader's Digest. Cheers or jeers? Jeers in the first three. Okay. Cheers and everything after that. That's basically correct. <laughs> I, I loved it. Like the last two I loved. I, I was mm. so into. In fact, they took them off streaming here on like whatever service I had them on. I went ballistic and you know, like paid money to get the last two. Oh, wow. Never would do that. Never would do that. <laughs> big, the- big, big. Thinking back two years ago to something no one over here where like <laughs> I was the, the descending voice in that, that trio. Like I was wrong on all fronts. It was much better than I expected. I was like, these all guys, right. these, I, I was like, these guys are so smooth brained. What are they talking about the entire time? Like I just tuned out for a while. It was much better, much better. Well, good to know. Right. Good to know that you're a convert. Uh, uh, you're still a squib, but uh, yeah, that'd be more likely. Like I, I'm not going to read the books, buddy. Come on, relax. <laughs> <laughs> relax on that the part. books are better i don't think anyone better. expects that of anybody anymore no. um, Fair enough. especially especially nowadays uh today we are going to be talking about black widow and i have you know i usually like i said before we started recording i usually defer to keith to fact check me on the comic book stuff and i feel like i'm going to need it more this 
particular movie than other Marvel movies. But we also have you here, Patrick, mm-hmm. and you are also a comic scholar. I'm sure you have, because you're also a school teacher, I'm sure you have used comic books in your classes more than once. More than once. Like two of the books in my curriculum right now, March book one through three. And uh, I'm trying to look what else I pulled up. The Hamlet conversion of the graphic novel is being used this year. Oh, cool. There you go. So you are officially a comic book scholar. Also be talking about your streaming homework for us. We didn't announce it on the last episode because you gave us three choices and the one that we announced was no longer available free on streaming anymore. So we went to one of your others. Uh, the Korean gangster film Nameless Gangster, which came out in 2012. But before we get to that, we've we've talked a lot at the front of the episode. We talked about your past podcasts, but I want to talk to you a little bit about the new one you're doing now, Consume Us. Tell us the origin story of that podcast and what what's going on with that. All right. So Consume Us came out of like Andy Smith of the Smith Signal and they did another podcast, which I completely forget the name of. And Andy will correct me when I talked to him on Sunday about how I forgot what it was. I think it was called Outrage where he interviewed people who had like outrages like in the video game industry, um, like TV industry, whatever it was. But Andy Smith had the Smith Signal, which is a podcast about comic books tangentially. Um, with his brother. Um, and like, I had a pretty good correspondence with them. Like, Andy, it's really weird, like the 21st century. Andy and I have a closer relationship than I think I have with most people that I've met in real life. Like, even previous COVID, like, I would call Andy up on Skype. We would talk for like two hours, like teenage girls <laughs> about what, like, whatever came up for long periods of time. And then at one point, I said, uh, when, Make Dead Read Comics wound down after my dad passed away a couple of years ago. And then uh, Almost Educational did just because, like, COVID and everything else just crushed us. Dennis and I were both school teachers. Like, the schedule was, like, crippling. Like, we couldn't do it anymore. Um, and then we just said, like, well, let's call it quits and I'll just end it unceremoniously. And I got the bug back on me for podcasts. And Andy and I were talking, like, I would walk around my neighborhood during COVID and, like, we would just talk. And then... He said, like, well, you know, like, do you want to do a podcast again? I was like, ah, I don't know. Like, I don't have the, really the, the feeling for me. And he said, well, like, what if we did one where we just brought up a topic that we were both ill-informed on? I'm looking at my notes as I'm looking at you through Zoom. They told me I had to speak <laughs> I do. They were both ill-informed on. And then we would at least at the end of the podcast at about 45 to 50 minutes become misinformed on and that idea would like <laughs> would translate to the audience and we just use pop culture as the the um the thrust for it and i was like i don't want to edit i don't want to edit anything anymore i'm bad at it i'm bad at mixing my voice down i'm bad at putting sound effects he said i like editing so i was like okay you edit and then i'll come up with some ideas and so consume us is like the idea the play on words is like we are the consumers of the pop culture there's a topic mm-hmm. every week the last topic was transformations and then we just expose how little we know about like reality and how much we know about pop culture nonsense, essentially. So uh, the last one, if you listen to it, Transformations, we talk about how much we know about um, xenomorph biology. And we end up just, you know, realizing <laughs> that we learned nothing in biology in high school about like actual insects <laughs> and like how a larvae work. Like right. my version of how I thought like uh, like uh, flies come up, like maggots come out of meat was completely different than what Wikipedia told us. So that's that's the okay. show, yeah. No, and then he does a very good job of like putting sound effects and so forth. And uh, probably we'll get like trademark um, strikes at some point uh, for things that he put in. But like we're not 
large <laughs> enough that anyone's listening to it, so I don't think it'll worry that much. You're probably fine. Yeah. Um, I'm just looking at the breadth of topics that you, you've you uh, done so far. We have vampires, yep. regional accents, and this yep. is important because Andy is English. He's from the UK. Yes, he he's from Chester, are- Chester, England, which we discussed, like, is on the border of Wales, which is a technically a different country. Mm-hmm. He's technically Welsh, so he's, like, not an Englishman. Uh, that was on the, the the cutting room floor where I was blown away. I had to have him like describe what that means, and I got very confused <laughs> that like <laughs> one country has four countries. Uh, right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're from Michigan, so correct. I would say that that's part of the dynamic that's going on there is like the American guy and the English guy, like yeah, you know. I should have led with that. There's a, there's de- there's definitely a, a, a cultural like uh, uh, chasm at some point. Yeah, because um, he probably has. Not very different pop cultural touchstones, but but probably different enough that you know, like sometimes it's you you know what I mean, like yeah, it's shocking, get, like stuff, like yeah. Go ahead, I'm sorry. No, no, I was just saying, like they, you know, they they have so much stuff that we don't get exposed to till a decade later, and vice versa, and vice and, versa. Yeah, it's really interesting um the the relationship that america has with england especially in terms of pop culture um i'm i'm a little bit bigoted towards english people Ooh, don't, don't um, generally Whoa. speaking Whoa. <laughs> uh just going forward cassidy does not represent the views of uh the MacGuffin podcast <laughs> i'm sure andy is a is a wonderful person but um if you guys ever did like a topic about like who's more influential nirvana or oasis that might you know make my brain explode oh my that god um gotta be your next topic <laughs> <laughs> and then we got uh an episode on cyborgs humor versus humor the british spelling Ooh, I'm and taglines so it's it's an, a relatively new podcast i have dipped in a little bit i need to i need to go all the way through but you don't have to listen to it cassie don't don't you, like if you don't listen to it ever don't worry about it. like it's not gonna hurt my feelings i enjoy it i Thank enjoy you. it and Thank i you. encourage others to listen and enjoy as well yeah you can find it like again the way you say like the plug the old podcast like put in your google consume us podcast and i'll come <laughs> up uh you are on spotify and that's how i that's, that's how all that matters at this point yeah pretty much we had good numbers this week too so i'm happy about that Good, good. The next segment that I wanted to do before we get into our movie reviews is back when you did Almost Educational, you'd usually start with a quiz. Mm -hmm. Kind of like a, what what did you call it? Bell ringer. A warm Warm up. up. A bell ringer warm up. Yeah. Yeah. Just to get your brains going. And I'm going to have you and Keith compete. This is uh, all about movies that take place in and around Detroit. Oh, oh God! He's done. He's, it's over. I feel like I have a massive. <laughs> you said you watched every movie. <laughs> every movie. I told you. I, like during COVID, every single I just movie. sat back like uh, Clockwork Orange, opened those eyeballs up, and just mm-hmm. watched them. I feel like Patrick <laughs> has a hometown advantage here, though. Like he does. I, so this is how it's going to work. Oh, I'm going to ask yeah. Patrick, yep. and then if he can't get it, okay, you can steal it. Cool. So like when you say and vice like okay. Are you going to give me the premise and like the tagline for the film? And then I have to guess the film. Is that the idea here? I have the questions written out and it's in a question answer form. Oh, um, and there, there'll be context clues in the question. Okay. Okay. All right. And then if neither of you can get it, maybe I'll give you a hint. Fair. If not, then I'll just have neither will get the point. Fair. And I'm not, I don't have a pen or anything to be able to tap. Well prepared. This, Good job. <laughs> <laughs> so here, here's the first one, Patrick. 
what 2005 remake of a John Carpenter film changed the setting Assault from on South Precinct, Central? Uh, uh, 19. 13. Cl- oh, oh, 9. Okay. 13. You were 13. right. And you got it right before I even finished the question. Of course. Done. There you go. <laughs> Where's all the all questions right. about San Diego movies? I can answer anything you need to know about Jurassic Park, The Lost World, and Anchorman. <laughs> yeah, all two of them. Um, okay, second question. This Tony Scott action film follows the criminal exploits of a lucky geek who works at a Detroit comic book shop. Oh, um... It's not comic book villains. I'm sort of bearing a lead here. Yeah, I'm gonna the punt. I'm, I'm gonna, my, my I'll use it as my uh, my uh, clue if uh, neither of you can get it. I got nothing. Okay, Keith, you got. Can you steal it? Uh, can I? Can I hear the question one more time? This Tony Scott action film follows the criminal exploits of a lucky geek who works at a Detroit comic book shop. Uh, There's I several think, ways I'm concealing th- that would make this obvious. I think I'm going to need to hear the clue. Yeah. Okay, but I'm I'm giving the clue to Patrick first. All right. The clue is it was written by Quentin Tarantino. True romance. I I, 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 <laughs> I, I thought of I thought of it, but I was like I didn't want to call it. Is that that's it, right? <sighs> yeah, and technically, like the second half of the film all takes place in L.A. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, you I start mean, in Detroit. No, it's good. Yeah. It's right. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know that was Detroit, actually. I assumed it was, like, I don't know, further east coast. Yeah, it was very cold. Yeah. Um, okay, Patrick. Sophia Coppola's feature debut. The Virgin Suicides. The- oh, Gross God point. damn it. Gross Point. It was in Gross Point. Yes, you're right. <laughs> Do you want me to finish the question just for fun? Go ahead. It's great that he's okay. getting all these because I don't know shit about oh, shit. Oh, no, no. I thought this one was hard, too. I really did watch um, all the movies. You guys don't like, think it was, it was a, I believe like, you. It's a joke to you, but like, okay. <laughs> you had nothing better to do last year. Mm-hmm. So the whole the full question just for the listeners. Sophia Coppola's debut film adapts a novel by Jeffrey Eugenides. Eugenides? Oh, that was a local guy. Middlesex. Yeah, Middlesex. Yeah. About a group of sad sisters from Gross Point, Michigan. Yep. All right. So, question number three, Patrick. This movie follows a couple of blood starved vampires lounging in Detroit's underground garage rock clubs. Oh, I know this one. Fuck. Oh, Jim Jarmusch. What the fuck was the name of that movie? I'm ready to steal, baby. He can steal. I, I know Jim Jarmusch. I can't remember what it was called. <laughs> Is this uh, the only lovers left alive? Yeah, that's the one. Son of a bitch, yes. it was. Good, call. <laughs> yes. Good job. Good job. Starring Good job. Uh, Tilda Tilda Swinton and Tom mm-hmm. Hiddleston. I haven't actually mm-hmm. even seen this movie. It, it was it's on really my good. list. It's I good. did a whole vampire thing in October last year for Halloween, but uh, I got to the point where I could not watch a single other goddamn right. vampire movie without going insane. Fair enough. You might want to save it for this October, but yeah. it's a it's a fun kind of take on like the junky rock star as yeah. vampire. Um okay. We'll see how this one goes, Patrick. Okay. Twilight Breaking Dawn director helmed this Detroit set musical which garnered Eddie Murphy an Oscar nomination. Dream Girls? Yes. I think you've already won, but Let's just go, for more. fun, we'll go with the last question. And this is the hardest one, I think. 
Okay. Richard Pryor and Harvey Keitel star in this film about union auto workers directed by... Blue Collar, man. Blue Collar is the best movie ever about uh, about unions I've ever seen. It's the most true thing ever. Yes. (laughs) All right. Directed by Taxi Driver screenwriter Paul Schrader. Yes. You didn't mention, like, the three Detroit movies I know. That's probably why I didn't mention them. Robocop. (laughs) Right. Uh, Detroit Rock City, which is right. more of a road movie than a yeah, Detroit movie. Yeah. Uh, and what's the one with uh, Michael Keaton in the cars? Oh, uh, Tucker? No, it's uh, it's a Packard one, right? It's a... Uh, That's oh, a Detroit um, one, right? Yeah, I know. No. Or no, no. Are you thinking of Gung-Ho? I, oh, I think that's a good it. one. Yeah. I don't know Mr. Mom, Detroit. Mr. Mom might be Mr. Mom. Yeah, that takes place in Detroit. Yeah, Mr. Mom is. Yeah, no, I think it. I think I was thinking specifically of Gung Ho. Gung Ho. I don't is know too, if that's, I think. I don't know if that's Detroit or not, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't in my list when I was looking up Detroit movies. If it's if it's if it's got like a, a sheen of like um, depression and sadness underneath it, like it's <laughs> probably there. So the reason I assumed it was Detroit. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know, maybe it's not specific. Uh, the synopsis is a Japanese car company buys an American plant. Um, and it's it's all about, like, building cars. Right, um, right, right. And so it's auto industry. I probably yeah. just assumed it was Detroit. I mean, it wouldn't be a bad guess if that were the case. No, it's probably but, true. Um, I've never actually seen Blue Collar, but I, I want to now. Oh, that's crazy. I almost recommended that one. Is the, oh. the stream, but I couldn't find it on streaming at the time. Yeah, I don't know. It might be in between uh, services rights. or production companies, yeah. whoever has the rights to it right now. Okay. Well, you pass that with flying colors. You know your Detroit movies. I do know that. <laughs> I do know that. And Not much else. <laughs> let's go ahead. Let's go ahead and get into Black Widow. Keith, you can go ahead and describe Black Widow to us. Okay. Uh, so while I'm describing Black Widow, I need to be perfectly clear about the timeline that this movie takes place because uh, uh, apparently it threw my friend Ryan off, who went. And oh, saw I was it. all the way off. Yeah, me too. Actually, really? yeah, yeah. I was. Here's too. the deal. Before we get into it, it has come. It's become very apparent in the last few Marvel movies that Civil War is a very important pillar in these these movies that have come out. I've seen that movie exactly once in oh, the theater. Okay. I remember very little about it other than how it diverged from the comic. And there's lots of details about like how, you know, the sides like broke up and like where people went and stuff during civil war that I just do not remember. So I can only pick that up for if it comes up in dialogue. And also I do not remember who lived and died at the end of Endgame. So <laughs> Jesus Christ, Cassidy. <laughs> because okay. I've seen that movie right. once. So we're going into this movie with a handicap. So uh, okay, <laughs> I I don't even know where to start with you right now. What uh, I mean, okay, I in all fairness, I have seen at least every movie in the MCU at least three times. And Civil War was a particular favorite of mine, so I've probably seen that four or five times. Okay. Um. Okay, so Black Widow does take place after the events of Captain America Civil War um, with Natasha Romanoff on the run from the United States government. 
Uh, she is trying to lay low. She's she's flying off the radar. Uh, she's trying to disappear. Uh, because at the end of Civil War, she she's originally on Tony Stark's side and on the the side of the um, Sokovia Accords, and then she ends up kind of changing her mind and letting Cap go and and letting him fly a Quinjet away. So that makes her a fugitive. So uh, while she's on the run. She gets contacted by her estranged, adoptive spy sister. Um, it's complicated. Yeah, it's <laughs> the complicated. She, at a certain point, uh, while she was a young kid, she belonged to a family of sleeper uh, Russian spies, sleeper agents, but that were posing as a family. And she was young enough, uh, and her younger s- supposed sister cover story sister were young enough um, that the familial unit felt a little more real to them uh, Mm -hmm. than maybe anybody else in the world. So Yelena, uh, she is working for this mysterious Russian agency, I guess is the best way to describe it, where they brainwash girls and train them as widow uh, sleeper agents. Um, This all takes place in, in a thing called the Red Room which they've mentioned in other MCU movies. Um, Now we get kind of a bigger picture of what the Red Room is actually doing. So anyway, Yelena is on a mission, covert mission, and she gets exposed to this chemical that uh, frees her mind, and the rest does follow. Uh, So (laughs) after she is sort of freed from the the, uh, chemical conditioning of the Red Room, she reaches Mm -hmm. out to Natasha because uh, Black Widow thinks that she shut down the guy who was operating this. She thought she killed him. Um, uh, Comes to find out that this secret organization is still operating. um, And they decide that they've got to, they're going to take him down. And the only way to do that is to reach out to their covert adoptive parents played by David Harbour and Rachel Wise so they, they kind of get the this family unit back together uh, in an attempt to take down this corrupt KGB organization that's training super spy female assassins. Yes. Um, and uh, David Harbour actually plays a, a, a pretty prominent Marvel villain in... Uh, the, He's the Red Guardian. The Red Guardian. Um, yeah. They do make a mention to, I think, a more prominent... Uh, villain the crimson dynamo Dynamo, yeah (laughs) but and his past he's sort he is a russian super soldier in his past has had some run-ins with captain america and has sort of his uh russian superhero glory days behind him right right now just as a just as a way to open up the the discussion i'll ask this to both of you and you can tell me what you think I noticed watching this movie that this is kind of the least superhero-y we've seen a Marvel movie in a while. Other than the fact that we have uh, characters like Black Widow who have appeared in Avengers films and things. And then with um, David Harbour's character, you know, we got kind of a campy costume and everything. But basically, this is genre-wise more aligned with something like uh, a movie like Salt or Columbiana 
or like those kind of like female assassin movies. Um, it's much more kind of espionage, uh, paranoid thriller kind of stuff. Uh, kind of similar, maybe tone and genre wise is something like Captain America Winter Soldier, which was going for something else. Um, at that time, a lot more grounded action, uh, more gunplay, things like that. Less people shooting waves of superpowers out of their hands or flying and things like that. I, Go so ahead. Two things. When you say superhero, do you mean like there's less costumes in this film than, than other films? Is that what you mean? I think I'm, yeah, I, well, I, I think I mean on a genre level, like okay. the way the story is kind of structured, it's more built around these uh, mysteries that we're solving and, um, you know, double crossing and spies and spy versus spy so, and that kind so of stuff. Can, like, Cassie, can I, can I say one second? Can we do spoilers yet or no? Like no spoilers? No. Not yet. Not yet. Okay. So in your mind, think of like where the third act takes place. It, I'll give you that. It, okay. When All right. All right. I, I always call it the um, the Kevin Feige destruction quota mm-hmm. that you know he and this is a thing like he's mentioned it or somebody somewhere has mentioned it that he things have to end in these big elaborate giant explodey set pieces. Okay, no matter what the story is, I feel it, like it, people got to feel like they get their money's worth by the end of the movie. So by that point in the movie, um, <laughs> things start to you know, when you get all your trailer shots together, right. so that, that's, that's when that's when it starts to feel a lot more like a Marvel movie. But up until that point, that's kind when of, it's a, I, I sorry, I just need to interject that I think that's kind of funny because usually with the MCU, it's the third act that where like the story starts to fall apart. I agree. And it's usually that. Yeah. I guess yeah. that Feige destruction thing that. Uh, Usually kind of like the weakest point of most of the MCU. Yeah, movies. I mean, that's usually when things just kind of kick into into uh, autopilot, autopilot yeah. and um, it's all about just like, you now know, blow up the up. thing. Yeah, yeah, I, I do feel like there, I uh, it also I didn't mention in my recap uh, that there is also this uh, mysterious sort of like Terminator character um, known as the Taskmaster who is who is mm-hmm. trying to hunt down. Uh, the antidote for this, like, chemical brainwashing technique they use. Right. And while I was watching that and some of the, like, uh, hand-to-hand combat scenes and and the um, the, co- the fight choreography between Black Widow, Yelena, and Taskmaster, I was thinking to myself, um, Snake Eyes really has their work cut out for them coming up. Because, I it, you know, this is kind of doing that better than... That movie probably you, you could. You mean the G.I. Joe movie? Yeah, the new. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, it's coming up. Yeah, I get what you're... Personally, I get what you're saying about this being more along the lines of, like, Atomic Blonde or, like, you know... Yeah. But but I feel like... there's like, there's less, like, mythological stuff. There's less, like, we have to find the magic crystals. There's but, less, but I mean, like, also, space opera. You know, this is pretty grounded. Black Widow as a character has always kind of been that though like right. you know like in the like i would have been very disappointed if it had been like uh this weird cosmic journey or whatever because sure. she's always just sort of been a spy i mean she doesn't even technically have like superpowers right or a costume to be perfectly honest right like there's no like I me mean, other than like the little widow symbol thing i mean i mean there, black oh, leather i <laughs> mean okay we could get into yeah. nitpicky argument there's costume elements 
Uh, like, right. you know, she, and, and when she is with other Avengers, it, I, I think obviously looks very good. Point. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. Because of the contrast and stuff. But, but well, yes, technically it's more of like tactical gear um, well, and they can get away with kind of movifying that a little bit more. Like she's yeah. Not there's also costume suit. changes that occur in this film as well. Oh wow! Like well, they gotta sell those toys. But like, doesn't it go back to like <laughs> uh, like the whole thing of like? I mean, I know it's been oversaid, but like all these Marvel movies are really like genre movies with Marvel oh, yeah. characters in it. Like I mean, like you mentioned Winter Soldier. Winter Soldier is like Three Days of the Condor, uh, Parallax mm-hmm. View with like Captain America fighting guys in the elevator. Like a this bit is of a Manchurian candidate. Exactly. Yes. Well. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Keith. And like this is like, you know, um Mission Impossible, Atomic mm. Blonde with, you know, Super Soldier Serum that's kind of like glossed over how it works. With a little bit of the Fast and Furious uh Very family much so, yeah. involved. Family. We're family <laughs> together, guys. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and I I think that some of that the familial stuff is I think what what kind of supercharges this and makes it more than just a retread of other like assassin movies? Mm-hmm. Um, assassin even all if, by their own loan. They've, they've right. been burned and the agent's got to come into the secret organization and like they've got no one to trust kind of thing. Yeah, I know. What you yeah, mean. but even then, right. even when they got nobody to trust, there's usually like four or five like, <laughs> you know, like yeah. look at the Mission Impossible, like. Ghost Protocol, he's ghosted and he still has his whole team of Simon Pegg right, and right, yeah, Living right. Rames. Well, those became shit. more more like uh, ensemble films as they went. Like Which when it started out. To, to the franchise's credit. To the franchise's benefit. credit, yes. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, the other thing I wanted to ask, uh, based upon sort of the direction of this movie, do you think that the Endgame fans or the Guardians of the Galaxy fans or whatever are going to be come to this movie and feel like the stakes are too low and too, for lack of a better word, normal because she's just after a Russian guy with glasses. That's a good question. I never, I never thought of that like that. Um, Like after we've seen them literally visit all the corners of the universe and multiverse and time travel, that this is going to feel so contained. That's going to feel small. I'll let Keith talk first. I, I, I come. Well, I, was, very... see, I was gonna. I was gonna let you answer. That's fine. But I. I do have a couple of. Uh, I. I do have an answer to this. Uh, mm-hmm. I think. I. I think a couple things. Um. And. And my answer will lead kind of more into my critique of the movie itself. I. I think there is something to be said about threats that fly under the radar. Um. Which in this case the red room clearly does. Um. It mm. is clearly a menacing presence. Um. And I think there's something about the fact that it speaks to the vulnerability of these young women um, that that makes it to where, like, okay, this isn't necessarily an Avengers-level threat, right. but somebody's got to take care of it. Uh, so so I don't think in, in the terms of the MCU, as far as scale goes, it doesn't feel like it's smaller or, or, or more insignificant to me. It just feels like, Oh, this is an appropriate threat for Natasha to face by herself. Like they keep they keep making all these reasons why the Avengers can't be there, but I don't think they even necessarily needed that. I think this could have just felt like, oh, this is a Natasha mission all, all on her own. The other answer I have for you is, uh, why the fuck did this movie come out when it did? Uh, because 
I think the emotional core of this movie would be a lot more powerful if we hadn't sort of seen the result of Endgame and spoilers if you haven't seen Endgame, but like ultimately knowing Natasha survives all of this just to die on some random planet. I, I think that as far as the release of movies comes, like this should have come out when Captain Marvel came out. Right. Um, and mm-hmm. Captain Marvel should have come out fucking seven years ago for for all that they've played into like the bigger, you know, MCU story. Right. Um, okay. Patrick, did you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, like I a few years ago, I've separated myself from like looking at these things as for me, there's there like a tree that comes out of like being a fan of the comic books. And then the film universe. And, like, those have branched off for long, long, long ago. And, like, I realized when I talk to people who, like, like these movies a lot, like, they like, like them for significantly different reasons than I like them. <laughs> and, like, that's fine. When I come to it, like, I dropped the the shared universe, Marvel universe um, bit of it a little bit, like, trying to find out, like, well, when does this take place chronologically? Like, when Keith just said, like, I was like, oh, yeah, he's so right. Like, what? This, like, this is placed in the wrong time period. This would have been so much better, better emotionally if it was earlier than later. Um, but I found myself looking at it as a more of a, like a, a translation of the material just put on the screen and then grafted into this huge fabric that like they don't have an editor. I mean, I guess uh, Kevin Feige is the editor, but like I- I'm still pretty blown away that like they can weave – all these narratives together and it's something that's basically understandable. Cause I, Cassie, like I was with you a little bit. Like I was like, what? Like civil war. Like, I don't remember any of that at all. I was like, what are they <laughs> talking about? Like, like why they mentioned the Avengers? Like, Oh yeah. The Avengers disbanded. And like my bellwether is my wife who doesn't watch any of these movies. Like comes in, like we're going to go watch this movie. Like, I mean, we were locked down for COVID. I said, we're going to go see a movie. I could have said, we're going to go watch, like, monkeys throw paint at the wall for 20 minutes. She'd be like, sure, we're going to watch monkeys throw paint at the wall. But she went and watched it with me. And, like, I'm like, okay. So there's just two versions. Like, I look at them and go, okay. So Tony Stark uh, broke up the Avengers, essentially. Like, I, I'm like, oh, yeah, in my head, it's, like, coming back to me. And then I tell her also, like, oh, the Taskmaster is a dude who learns all these. Oh, wait, it's not a dude. Like, you know, like, it's all this stuff, like, like where I say, like, but, like, it doesn't matter at this point because like there's a whole other narrative mm-hmm. created that mm-hmm. exists for this. Um, when I come back to this, like when I watch all of it, like I'm very blown away after the movie. When I sit down, I go, you know, in terms of being a, I guess he's not a showrunner, but a producer of these movies and like weaving something together that makes any kind of sense whatsoever. Yeah. It's a pretty good job of doing it. And like, I can turn my brain off long enough to get through it. Where I sit down and if I really pull the threads, like what Keith just said, I was like, wait a second. Yeah, all that makes no sense. Like there's no agency in this movie whatsoever. It's already played. Like there would have been way more agency in Endgame if I knew all this stuff happened previously. Mm-hmm. But in the moment I'm there, it's, it's with me. And I look at other people and like they're just clapping like seals. And like they're happy. They're eating their popcorn. They're happy. So like <laughs> it must have been a good movie. Well, I, I think you – It's very complicated. A, I think you bring me. up a good point uh, too because – I, I, I've i heard some things about behind the scenes. It was just like, it was a chore just to even get this movie made. And, I see uh, right. They've been talking about it for a long time. When's a Black Widow movie? When's yeah. a Black Widow movie? Yeah. And now it's and, finally here. And I, I think, you know, the success of Captain Marvel, the success of Wonder Woman, you know, a lot of these led 
have have led to us finally dusting off this notion that um you know this fucking stupid idea that female led movies can't be good uh so you know ultimately i'm glad this movie got i i'm glad this movie got made at all you know yes the timing could have been better or whatever for the release of it but uh at a certain point you've seen it or you haven't right Um, and once you've seen it like it does kind of all just assimilate into this bigger fabric. And, and I do think as a story, I, I think, you know, it's nice to give me something to cling on to Black Widow as a character mm-hmm. um, in, in, through the past, like Avengers movies and uh, even movies like Captain America Winter Soldier, where she gets to be a main character. Right. She's usually just a supporting character. She's usually a little more aloof. Um, so it's very nice to see her as a character, like as a human being with a little more dimension. Um, Put a pin on that idea, actually. But what I was going to say about its placement in the MCU is now that there's so many movies and they've been kind of jumping back and forth as it is mm-hmm. with their release dates. Now everything's streaming or everything's released on physical media. So there's already like the fan order of how you right. see these movies yeah, and everybody the, has their preferred way of watching them. Like, well, it's like especially a, that conversation came up with this or like, where do I start? And some people like start logical order, the chronological like order. Star yeah. Wars. There's the hatchet yeah. cut. Like, exactly. But that, that's not unprecedented. Like, I mean, Keith used to talk about Star Wars. Like there's a Star Wars chronological order. Like, well, if you want the full spectrum, go back and read the Dark Horse comics to fill in the blanks to these things. <laughs> yeah. But, but like, there's all that stuff. But like, with comic books, there's like these these um, reading orders that like this is pre. Well, I guess it's the early internet. Like That's these, a good these reading point. orders that like you like. Well, if you want the real full <laughs> spectrum, read this reading order. Like, and people would make custom reading orders of how you're supposed to read things in sequence, and they would make more sense. And they weren't made by like an editor or the company. They were maybe like a <laughs> fan who would like throw it together and say like. This is what I read, so like you should read it that way. I'm, I'm actually, yeah, the reading orders is a really good point because most of the time when I read comic books, it's not based off of like the Wednesday they get released. Right. It's it's based more off of, I mean, because I, I pretty much only read like collected editions. And even those, you know, like if I read um, a Marvel Civil War, for mm-hmm. example... Right, you're only getting the Civil War title that they printed, whereas every fucking title in the Marvel universe at that time had a tie-in right. thing. So yeah, there's there's uh, reading orders. It's like, well, you don't know why the Punisher acted this way if you didn't read this one Civil panel. War Punisher. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll I'll say this about uh, what about both what me and Patrick were saying about not exactly remembering like what happened sure. in past yeah. movies. I think this movie does a really good job with how to deal with exposition. And I think the reason that is, is they tie the exposition in with the dramatic arc, which mm-hmm. is this, this family unit coming back together because when none of them have seen each other for so long, when they're together, they have to talk about That's why they're point. getting back That's together. What are the pieces that they don't remember? What are the, mm-hmm. you know, they're all catching up throughout the whole movie and in turn are bringing us along with them on this uh, on the uh on the exposition but it doesn't feel like dry exposition it feels like emotional storytelling 
Well, and, and I mean, it is too, because it is, yeah. like you said, it is uh, sisters catching up or, mm-hmm. uh, 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 yeah, no, that's a really good point. I it, Funny thing is, I normally notice like really bad exposition and I mm-hmm. didn't really. Especially didn't really with movies it. like this. Yeah. yeah. Like whenever you're dealing with genre films or you're dealing with um, action movies, the exposition, you can always feel the writer just like. Here's our info dump. Buckling right. down and getting into the boring shit. Yeah. But this, but t- tying it in with the emotional arc was really, really smart. Um, and uh, I didn't even notice it as it was happening. It was only until after I was like, oh, I guess what should be boring isn't because I genuinely want to know where all these characters have been and what they've been doing. Totally. And, and they all also, on top of that, they all... This whole family, the the there's like four main characters. There's yeah, um, uh, Natasha, uh, Yelena, Alexi, um, the Red Guardian played by David Harbour, and Melina played by Rachel Weisz, and all four of them have very interesting stories and very interesting. Uh, you, you know, what I mean, it's it doesn't feel slapdash. It feels like they have you know they have pretty unique, interesting histories within mm-hmm. this world that's been created. Yeah, um for my money, the two the two standouts in this movie is I Florence mean, Pugh. Uh, I mean, come on. Oh, all right, we I I feel like we have to take just a minute just to like Florence Pugh gush. Right, because I mean, she's had an incredible like two years in movies lately. She's just gone from one hit to another to another to another. She's it's like that Ryan Gosling hot Yep. Two years he had. Give it to Florence. <laughs> that can be our new tagline. Give it to fucking Florence. Like, yeah. I, I, um, she's she's great. And and I think her and David Harbour are having the most fun in this movie. Yes. Um, and there's a lot of like what could be borderline cheesy Russian accent going on in this movie. A lot of like squirrel and moose happening throughout. Um, but both of them, I think. You know, Harbour is like leaning into the camp and yep. Florence Pugh is just like telling whole stories with her face. Oh, my. She, she is so fucking good. I, I mean, here's the thing. Uh, and no, no disrespect to Scarlett Johansson. Like, I, you know, she's had to to play kind of a thankless part for like fucking 15 years. Um, and this is kind of the first time where the character has any sort of meat to chew on. But uh, her characters are very stoic, um, very um, restrained. Whereas Florence Pugh, like she gets to leave it all on the fucking table, and she does, and it is just so much fun to watch. Like she can just ah, she's like. So here's my question: Jumping <laughs> off of that, for both of you, I think that even though this movie is called Black Widow, and this is supposed to be Scarlett Johansson's movie. She's still kind of functionally playing the same role she's been playing throughout all of these Avengers movies. She still feels more supportive because her character essentially is just a platform for these other characters to overwhelm her by the middle of the movie. Mm. And I don't know if that's the script's fault or if that's the director's fault or that's Scarlett Johansson's fault, but I feel like that happens. Feel free to disagree. So you're saying uh, she, I, she, she, like, defaults back to what she's been in the other movies, you're saying? Uh, yeah, that- I think she still kind of feels like she sort she ends up becoming third fiddle, third or fourth fiddle in her movie. 
I feel. But I maybe know. that's just because I'm like, yeah, 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 Black Widow, who are these other people? I, I kind of agree with you, but the reason I agree with you borders on spoiler territory. Yeah, I, I was going to be dissenting opinion for different reasons. That We can go spoiler zone now if you want to. go spoilers too. Yeah, okay. That, that third act, I think I went back to again, like with her and Ray Winstone, I thought did a pretty good job of like flushing out the character. I can't say it was the it was like Florence Pugh level acted, but like it's her. She sustains the last act pretty well, I think. It's her um, moment, yeah. yeah. And then like the first, the first act is her too. Like when she goes to the trailer, and like you see her as a person kind of adrift. In the middle is the family getting back together stuff, and then she sandwiches it with character development in the beginning and character development at the end, I think. I mean, that's that's my take on it. I don't know if everyone's going to agree with me or not, but, like, I, I think it is ultimately her vehicle um, throughout. So, my problem with the movie as a movie mm. all hinges on the character of the Taskmaster. Because uh, they, they establish that it is kind of a pivotal thing for... Scarlett Johansson, mm-hmm. she was so desperate to get out of her situation. She was so desperate to rid her life of the Red Room mm-hmm. that she would forsake all of her connections at that time uh, to join S.H.I.E.L.D. And to do that, she had to kill uh, Ray Winstone's character. She had to um, uh, Dracov. And they had this moment. And she knew that uh, his daughter was in the room and she still decided to give the hit order. And uh, boom, uh, she she is directly responsible for the death of a child. And then within the movie itself, spoiler zone, they reveal that the taskmaster is this daughter she miraculously survived and it's just to me a little too neat and a little too uh it's okay you aren't actually a bad person you you you're not wading into this morally gray zone she survived like yeah she's a bad guy now but you have this moment of redemption whereas i think the more interesting choice is letting her fucking deal with that uh, a little bit more. And and so I think I kind of agree with you, Cassidy, um, in that there is definitely a more interesting arc for this character. And I think that's kind of a script th- issue, personally. Uh, I'll walk back a little bit, like, since we're on spoiler uh, territory here. Yeah. I, I think there's a, a point in it where the stakes are actually raised. Like, she thinks she killed the, the, the kid as a kid at maybe 10 years old. Mm-hmm. And then there's a revelation of, like, well, you didn't kill her. You maimed her and turned her into um, basically the Terminator, right? Yeah. Under the control. Like, you did a worse thing than even killing her. Like, you took her autonomy away, I made mean, her I, this mindless killing machine. And I mean, sure, but, but it's but, a it's a movie version of that. Right. No, like, no, no, no. I, I, I agree with you. Like, and then, <laughs> and then they have this moment then, like, where she's locked in a cell, and then mm. the same moral dilemma is set up again, right? Where, like, this girl that is now essentially a monster, right? Like a just this unfeeling monster is programmed to go do tasks for her father, Taskmaster, 
and she has this moment where she can like let her stay in the cell, let the um, James Bond space station fall down and kill everybody. But then she lets her out. They fall to the ground, and then she does the MacGuffin of you know doing the spray stuff to get her to come to. And there's not this moment of like, hey, you blew me up when I was 10 years old. And then I, <laughs> I was a slave to my my vile father and I killed dozens of people. Um, and I'm scarred for life and I have implants in my brain. Like it just goes, I'm a good guy. I'm a good person. I'll let you go. And like it's a very deus ex machina cop out. We're like there's these like three or four moments leading up to that point. They laid out Keith. We're like, it could – be a, a, a bit of a turn of a screw of more of a moral dilemma and it just like yeah, skirts yeah. all and, of that. And, and maybe end. if they had had used it that way and, and it is nice that they give her kind of this moment of like because uh, lately especially compared to like the DC Universe movies I'm a sucker for like those hero moments where it's yep. like the, the character shows us why they are a hero versus right. you know they're not just a super powered chaos engine. Right. Um, so I, I like that, that she does have this moment of like, well, now I can make the right choice. Right. I, I just feel like it all kind of, it just felt a little wishy-washy. And I don't know that Black Widow is, I mean, she's not Superman. She's not Batman. Right. Like, I don't necessarily need her to, to be as heroic as some of the other characters. She as a character in the comic books is allowed to be a little more morally gray. So I, I didn't necessarily need that moment and and i feel like it 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 kind of uh and and i don't i know that there's been a huge fucking annoying fanboy like outcry about taskmaster my problem wasn't that it wasn't it it was different than the comic books or whatever it was that it was that the character i i think did a disservice to the the emotional arc of the story yeah um well it's kind of crammed in there at the end like they yeah they, yeah. It's way too much to chew on to just throw in the third act. You know, this big twist, this big reveal. And then you already have all these other emotional stakes that you've been building throughout the whole movie. And then it's like, here's a big helping of this family issue. Can we deal with this in 15 yeah, minutes exactly. before yeah. everything blows up? And I felt like there was enough other stuff going on. Plus, I, I feel like it was a little bit of a, a disservice to the character of taskmaster just that like like all we needed to see was taskmaster do moves of, right. of these other people and right. we see taskmaster like throw the shield and we see like use the hawkeye bow but like i wanted and in like the black panther claws but i wanted more of that and i wanted it to be more specific i guess well like the idea of like i mean the horror of you know, Taskmaster in the, the comics is, is a guy who is a mercenary who um, trains in all the skills. He has, like, what is it, Keith? Like, um, sense memory. He remembers, memorizes everything that he does. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and his reflexes can instantly mimic it, which is cool and whatever. But, like, in the, in the, in the film, like, you could just have the woman whose daughter where Ray Winstone. What was the – Draco? Draco, Draco. Uh, Russian, <laughs> Russian, very Russian evil name. Bad accent, uh, Ray Whetstone, like <laughs> right. slipping a cockney at all times, like, oh, wait, pears and apples, governor. <laughs> I actually at moments forgot he was supposed to be Me too. Russian. Me so. too. Right. <laughs> but like the idea is like, you know, I agree, Keith, like have her watch all those videos, make all those moves, 
all that stuff, like, build it up. But again, like, Black Widow's very street-level character, like Daredevil or the Punisher or Moon Knight, where the pathos is there is a lot of, like, personal trauma piled Mm -hmm. up in your background. And, like, the idea is even when you do all these heroic things, like the Marvel comic book characters are always feet of clay, even when you do all these amazing things, Spider-Man's still going to be poor at the end of the day. Um, yeah. You know, Wolverine's still going to be an undying immortal who can't have a wife. Um, Moon Knight's still going to be dissociative and has no connection to other people. Like, being a superhero doesn't make your life better. It just makes it more complicated. And, like, the idea yes. of, like, her realizing, oh, I didn't kill her. I just made her this killing machine and I have to let her die. But at least I know, like, I'm free would have been as vindicating as like the MacGuffin gas got you. You're good now. Don't worry. These other Black Widows are going to take you away too. I think it may be even even more so. I mean, that doesn't necessarily mean they have to like, of course they could bring Taskmaster back at another point in time. Like they somehow escaped or whatever. But like, I'm sure they will. Sure. Yeah. It's a cool character. Uh, Yeah. Very cool character. Um, But, but yeah, I I agree with you. Like a, a character like Black Widow Especially as they have established in the MCU so far, yes. the the little bit of backstory we know about her, we know there's red in the ledger, right? And if we erase that, it's like, well, well, now not only are you killing her, you're kind of negating what drives her, what you right. know, what the the motivating factor behind her, and and you're also like, kind of. And maybe I'm looking into it a little too much, um, but, you know, it also kind of, like, softens that relationship she had with Hawkeye, which was one of the more solid, uh, you know, foundations for both of their characters. Like, mm-hmm. I, I I just feel like that twist itself was kind of a thorn in, in the lion's paw of otherwise, to me, a very satisfying, you know, like, spy action romp. I agree. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. Most of my issues with the movie come down to the third act and that it's, I, you know, I don't have as like complicated feelings about the taskmaster as either of you. Um, I just felt like it was <laughs> yeah. a lot to introduce at such a short period of time to, to deal with it. In, in uh, short, narratively. I, I agree with you. I think, I think that twist maybe could have worked had they introduced it a little sooner to, to like, to give I agree. it, Yes. Right, or or maybe just have it at like literally in your your post credits thing, and then deal with that in the next installment, right. whatever sure. it's going to yeah. be. Um, but yeah, I th- I mean, I think the uh, the the final set piece when the uh, the the big space station um, let layer is crumbling down that goes on about ten minutes too long for me personally um and it gets to the point where it's almost like comically over the top especially given how intimate the movie was up till that point um i just didn't need it to become that but that's always going to be my complaint with these things um otherwise i thought this was really solid and and really good if not for anything else i love the relationships specifically between uh scarlett johansson and florence Pugh. i could watch i could watch them just like hang out together all day in any movie. Well, and th- and that's what I mean when they kind of make Natasha more of a character. Like even even yeah. beyond all this, uh, you know, superhero motivation stuff. Like we actually get to see her interact with someone 
that she has more intimate knowledge with. And, and that in and of itself informs of us, uh, us of the character. And, and I think that's really cool. And it breaks down our barriers a little bit. Yeah. yeah. And, and she's not just the cool shield agent who's just, you know, she actually has to respond to something and, and, on and a level it, that's different than we've seen. And it un, uh, a term I, I'm not particularly fond of it. Unmarry sues her a bit. Like it gives her some, uh, no, vulnerability. Uh, you know, the fact that she would abandon this, this, uh, person who you know for all intents purposes they both thought of each other as sisters and and Mm -hmm. um you know so i i really liked what it did on that level as well as as just uh their on-screen chemistry was great agreed i i do think that it's probably a little overstated a little on the nose how often they compare her avengers family breaking up to her finding the new family like about the fourth time they they say, my family, the Avengers, they were more like a family. It's like, I know what you're saying. You don't. We get it. We get the, we, the, <laughs> yeah. the, the parallels These are the themes of yeah, the movie. Yeah, yeah. I, they, I get this is a mainstream like, film. But. Yeah. Not even <laughs> mentioned it and it would have been fine. But I, I don't think. Right. It, it never got to the point where I felt like it was groan worthy. So I'll, I'll allow it. Um, <laughs> it got close. Yes, uh, a little more subtlety there would have been nice. Yeah. But, um, my final thought is just, uh, I am very fucking excited that, uh, Florence Pugh and, uh, and, you know, David Harbour and, and Rachel Weiss are all officially part of the MCU mm-hmm. now. Um, mm-hmm. and I'm very excited to see, uh, future adventures with Yelena and, and hopefully we get some more Red Guardian as well. Uh, well, Keith, how exciting is the Madam Mask and credit stuff? Oh, Madam. Oh, did you pick that is up? She Madam Mask. Oh, for sure, buddy. Yeah, definitely. I, I that makes more sense. I thought she was uh, Madam Hydra. Ooh, I think she's Madam Mask. I think that would make more sense because they've already kind of beaten Hydra. That's uh, what so, I thought too. Okay, that was my. All take. right, can can we have a, a <laughs> sorry, nerd? Cassidy? Yeah, we have, we're gonna have a nerd <laughs> moment for a second. Uh, heavy sidebar here. Uh, I I have to be a little quiet because um. My wife doesn't like it when I talk about theories because I, I have a tendency to be right and it, it ruins things for her. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, I mean, they're setting this up for Thunderbolts, right? Oh, like, dude. That's the first thing I said. I, I, I turned – like, did you watch um, – what was the series before Loki? Um, oh, uh, uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. Right. Yeah. She appears there. I, was, I, I turned to my wife who had no idea. I was, I was like – Definitely Thunderbolts, right? She's so, like, Who? Apparently, I was like, not Thunderbolts, right? Because this was supposed to For come sure. out before Captain America and Winter mm-hmm. Soldier. So this was supposed to be her reveal. Right. And then that was supposed to be more of the callback, and it kind of flipped around. But but yeah, so... Um, but how do you do I that be- swerve? How do you do that swerve to the audience? Like, they already I know. It, I think it worked, though. I, I think it... Because it, it, I did not see that coming. I expected... Oh, for uh, sure. But, like... Another uh, Avenger or something. No, um, no. It, it's even better. It's even more subversive. But, like, how do you do the swerve of, like... Um, spoiler alert for a comic book came out 25 years ago. How do you do one, like, where the, the characters in the first six issues, like, we're definitely the heroes for the new U.S. government program. And, like, oh, by the way, you're definitely villains and you're going to kill, like, uh, a bunch of heroes as the Thunderbolts. <laughs> and, like... Your your Hydra uh, kill team like that's where you are. Sorry. So I I think it I I really like the way they are putting the team together and and uh so 
for those of you who don't know, uh, Julia, Julie Louise Dreyfus has had a yeah. cameo in both this and Falcon yep. Winter Soldier, and she's playing kind of a, a Nick Fury type of role, um, but with a twist. And I, I just, I very much like the way they are setting it up for the MCU in, in playing her Me like too. this anti Nick Fury. Yes. And, and perfectly. Like perfectly. A, Avengers with an edge kind yeah. of thing, but we know it's going to be much more than that. Uh, and at a time where the Avengers aren't really a solid team Which anymore. Perfect, you know, yeah, it's a good wedge. Like, again, Iron Man's dead. Cap's right. retired. Uh, Thor's in space. I, I'm very excited uh, for the... Th- this has been the thing where after Endgame, I was like, I don't know the, how they're going to get me back into that's the a MCU. Good, that's, that's and I'm good. like... <laughs> Anti-Avengers team. I love it. So if for some reason you don't have Wikipedia and you can't look this up, like the Thunderbolts is a swerve. Like the Thunderbolts is the idea that um, – who was it, Keith? Is it uh, Thunderbolt Ross was the one who put the team together initially? Uh, I, I actually don't know. That makes sense why it's called the Thunderbolts. I think it's what it was. <laughs> but like the idea is like Hulk's stepdad or father-in-law – Thunderbolt Ross, who shows up in this movie uh, in the very beginning with William Hurt, mm-hmm. is it William yeah. Hurt? Yeah, um, is sets up a team and he, like you know it's military like oh fuck off, set up a, a clandestine team. I don't know what it's all about. Walks away, and the team is led by Clinton Barton, Hawkeye, who all think that well, Clinton Barton thinks that they're heroes. In reality, they're like a kill team for uh, Hydra, who get together like all the misfit superheroes together. And their first mission, they go out and, like, just waste a whole bunch of, like, low-level heroes. And they come back, like, I don't know what we're really doing here. Like, I like killing people, but, like, why are we killing people? <laughs> and, like, like it's, it's Baron Von Strucker who comes out and says, like, well, because we're bad guys. And, like, at the sixth issue, you're like, oh, shit, we're reading a villain comic. And we thought it was a superhero comic. But I don't know how you make that sway in well, the 21st I, I, I century. Think- I think there are. So that's what do- they're building up to Yes, now. exactly. Yeah, like, I, everyone's yeah. supposed to think, like, they're, they're all heroes, but they're really, like, villains being sent as like to go wipe out superheroes. I, I think they're doing it very smart in that they're they're putting the team together like they did the original Avengers team, mm-hmm. right? Like the first few MCU movies, the in credits was always some kind of cap with Nick Fury or Tony Stark or someone bringing them into to this thing. And I think I think they're doing it really well with Julie Louise Dreyfus is like that worked for them. Let's do my version of it. And, and you know, we already know these characters have an edge uh, based off of, what was his name, Walker's turn. Wyatt Walker. Uh, yeah, uh, as U.S. agent. And, you know, again, we already know that Yelena is a little more um, a little more raw, a little more, uh, you know, she's just fresh off of this Soviet mission. Yeah, she has um, no allegiances at the moment. Right, so, exactly. So yeah. I, I think... The way they subvert that is by letting us know, like going into it, that like this isn't this isn't your daddy's Avengers, you know. Like, <laughs> uh, and I think that I, I don't know. I'm very excited to see to see where they go with that. John Walker. I mixed together uh, the the actor's name and the character's name. John Wyatt was the it's it's Wyatt. Um, whose kid is he? He's someone's kid, He's right? A, uh, Russell. Uh, Wyatt Kurt Russell. Russell. Wyatt Russell. Yeah. There we go. Is he is he Goldie? He's Holmes? Kurt Russell's kid. Yep, but not Goldie Hawn. Uh, that I don't know. I, I probably they've been Ooh, together. That forever. sounds right. About thirty-two years old, so be right. Yeah, right? yeah. Before we get um, nameless gangster, can I run to the bathroom one more time? I, yes, but before you go to the bathroom, yes. what do we all give? Oh, yeah. uh, Black Widow. I'm giving it a solid B. 
Okay, well, are, are we... Again, I feel like kind of... Uh, uh, I feel like there's both a movie curve, or there's the movie grade and the MCU curve. I think it's pretty decent on both. I'd probably give it a B both ways. I think I would probably give it a B plus as a movie. And with the MCU curve, it might have an A minus. I think... Ooh. As far I think as you're drunk on the hype a little. <laughs> well, here's the thing. That Thunderball's talk. Yeah, I'm the Thunderball's talk. I'm excited. Here's the thing. I'm comparing it to solo, standalone Marvel features. This is her first one. Yeah. And it's not an origin story. It's yeah. not. That's a good uh, point. That's a good point. It throws us into the deep end, and it just is like, you know That's a good villain. you need to know about yeah. the character already. And, and so, as far as... Solo standalone first movies go. Uh, I this one's a high high bar for me. Okay, Patrick, what do you give it? And then you can be. I'll split the difference. Uh, B plus. Okay. For all the reasons mentioned. Very cool. Now we're in the bathroom. Okay, let's go ahead and get into uh, the streaming homework, which Patrick assigned to us. Uh, it's called Nameless Gangster. That is the American title of this Korean film. I'm not even going to try to attempt <laughs> there we the go. original we Korean, title. The Korean title. I'm uh, looking at it. It's like looking at the full alphabet. It is the full alphabet of Korean. <laughs> <laughs> it's all in there. Because it's the rules of time. Of the time. Right. War and crime. And the golden age. The bad guys. <laughs> I'll let you describe, Patrick, uh, what is happening in this film. So, whew. I love, like, I love East Asian gangster movies since I was a kid. Like, I love all those, um, those Shanghai, Bangkok, like, you know, John Woo two-fisted uh, action movie kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I really love, specifically, um, there's a whole, like, bad guys is a, a, a term used in a lot of South Korean movies of, like, gangsters. Mm-hmm. There's a, a TV series on Netflix called bad guys vile city where it's this this movie just imagine three seasons of like being the shit out of like <laughs> customs agents with pipes for like 20 minutes mm-hmm. uh, these huge fight scenes that's all it is so anyway nameless gangster rules of time is a <laughs> film set in uh a pretty fraught time in in south korea south korea previously in 1980 was a military dictatorship. There was no former democracy. Uh, There's a series of uprisings from 1980 to 1982 that lead to 5,000 deaths of students uh, and protesters in the streets. There is a pullback in authoritarian military rule. And in that vacuum, Phil, uh, I think it's called Kang Pai uh, Gangsters, which would be like Yakuza in Japan. And they fill the void of the military dictatorship um, as democratization takes place, especially in Busan in the 80s and 90s, where the film is, is primarily set. Um, corruption and crime run rampant, and it's really hard to tell like who is a customs agent, who is a federal agent, who is a gangster, because they all kind of blend together. And the movie does not do a great job of presenting this in a, a normal timeline because it jumps from period to period. Um, it begins in 1990 
when you get this crackdown um, after 10 years of kind of tumultuous period, especially in the southern end of uh, South Korea, where the rule of law is installed and the first people to get cracked down on are corrupt officials and gangsters. And Busan businessman, uh, I don't know, butcher his name, Chao Chao Hun, is embezzling tons of money. He is locked up and getting the shit beat out of him in a prison and gives up this whole long list of stuff he did the past decade. And then the rest of the movie is essentially a, it's laid out as like a, if you were to think of like Italian mobster movie in America, because this is mm-hmm. the reason I picked it was compared to a, a Scorsese film. And I don't mm-hmm. think it quite fits that mold because the character, the main character is middle-aged, fat, and very not masculine. Is the only way I can say it. Like not, <laughs> not too fisted and strong. Uh, well, Chow, he's not as, um, yeah, he's not as like overbearingly like, gangster no he's not he's not de niro tough guy he is he's not cool he's not cool at all but like he has zero chill no but he's, <laughs> but he's super connected to like everybody from his clan to the business world to the gangster world like he is the nexus that connects all these parts together mm-hmm. and you see his rise um and connecting and the prosecutors because that's in the beginning of the movie he starts out as a corrupt prosecutor right uh, he is a corrupt uh, customs official. The beginning of the movie, right. he's running with this gang of four guys, um, and you see them getting bribes, which is a great scene, which is, uh, <laughs> for my life, of, of, of dealing with people like this, and, and we mentioned Detroit earlier, like, there is a very similar atmosphere here to Busan, to, like, Detroit, of, like, oh, I'm turning my blind eye. Don't put that money in my pocket. Like, I don't want that money <laughs> for a bribe here. Mm-hmm. But it's a lot of that, like, they... Um, he Chow finds a whole bunch of um, I think they, they, in the film they call it heroin, but I think it's supposed to be methamphetamine. And these two guys are trying to break into this, this customs locker. He comes upon it um, and fights the guys off. And him and his custom guys who are taking money and bribes to pay off uh, gangsters to not look in cargo uh, shipping uh, containers going to Japan, um, you know, have this big huge taking money. And they formulate this idea with a corrupt uh, official in the bureaucracy who says, like, okay, whoever gets kicked out is going to have the most kids. And Chao only has two kids and two unwed uh, wives. So he's going to be shit out of luck. The other guys have four or five kids. They're going to get bounced out. He then realizes he's going to be destitute. He has no grift anymore to work as a customs official and get paid off by gangsters. And so he turns to um, organized crime. And he's like, well, I'm going to take this money. Um, I take this uh, methamphetamine or heroin, whatever it was, and sell it to a guy I know is in a Kenpai, the Korean gangsters, who is connected to the Yakuza. And uh, it's patriotic because, like, those awful uh, Japanese that has under subjugation as a colony for years, we'll just sell them meth and get them all addicted. He meets up with a guy uh, in a really, I think, scene that sets the whole tone for the film. Mm-hmm. Where they're sitting down, he gets completely drunk. And embarrasses himself with these gangsters saying that he's like by seven generations connected to their, their clan, um, endears himself to these hardcore gangsters and becomes like a parasite within the gangster community with his connections with the business community, marries it up, slowly takes over um, both nightclubs and casinos. Uh, and then the film, like Midway Point, which I didn't realize was going to happen, becomes like a relationship film about like 
power and dynamics in a male mm-hmm. uh, platonic relationship of like mm-hmm. who has power and like why and when. And he and his fifth generation removed cousin, who is a hardcore gangster, go to war with Kim Pao Ho. I think very realistically, like if you've seen Old Boy, which is the same actors in it, you think this is going to be like very cinematic, like that that scene, a very classic scene in Old Boy. It's been replicated in, De- in Daredevil, where there's a 20 minute fight scene in the hallway. There's mm. none of that here. It's all realistic, like bumbling criminals are stupid. Um, <laughs> Nobody has a gun. Nobody. Well, like, that's, 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 that's not biggest, loaded. That's not loaded. There's gun, one gun, but yeah, that like the access to bullets, like that. Right. But that's the biggest difference, I think, what you would see from like a tr- traditional Scorsese gangster film and or any American gangster film versus well, this is all of the violence when they have to do it. It's like bludgeoning tools, yes, pipes, knives. bats, knives, stabbings. And it's, and, and you know, even then uh, uh, a lot more pile on. Yes. And it, there's also like it's not as in a weird way unforgiving. Yes. It's, um, it's, it's, right. Uh, like in a in a mafioso movie, you screw somebody over, you just get fucking shot. You're dead. Whereas in this, there's a lot of like, we're gonna beat the fuck out of you and embarrass you. Oh and, yeah, and shame you. There, there, yeah, and there, shame you. Shame and, you is a big point. There's a midpoint scene mm-hmm. where I, I glossed over where there is a definite rift between Chow and his um, partner, who is mafioso. Where Chow goes to Pang Yoho, who is the rival gangster. And tries to smooth over so there's no violence. Mm-hmm. And there's this great moment where um, the backdrop is the democratization protests. Mm-hmm. There is a firebombing of a police station and then the gangster stabbed. Um, and then when he's laid up in the hospital, Chow goes to him and says, like, oh, I heard bad things happening. And he like says, well, you know, leave the room. And then he says to his lieutenant, like, we have to take care of both problems. Pang Ho, the rival, and Chow. But we don't know that. And then we see Chow get the shit beat out of him, like only in his mm-hmm. underwear with pipes, yeah. dragged into an open grave, half buried, and then urinated on in this humiliating scene. And he has to go back and then have a a very humiliating scene where he like asks forgiveness to come and go get a drink where there's no, you know, um, olive branch given to him. Mm-hmm. And then things just devolve from there. And of course, he's going to turn state's witness on him because like what else does he have? But it's very much yeah, a film. There's a push and pull yes. between these two about like neither of them completely trust each other. Both of them are vying for that power position, but they also are the only people they have to really confide in. Right. Well, there's, and, a, there's a point where I think they do both trust each other. Implicitly, yeah. you're the heart and, on the mind, right? The part where he gets him out of prison. Oh, yeah. And, and it's like. Uh, uh, yeah, there's a point when they're very connected, and then there's kind of a time jump of two years where, where, oh uh, god, I'm gonna fuck up their names. Um, uh, yeah. where where Choi, uh, there you go, where he kind of gets too big for his britches. Like he mm-hmm. he, it's very interesting to me because this is a movie about this gangster who like connects all these worlds, these like. Uh, underworlds to legitimate business and it's all based off of like fucking uh, genealogy uh, and and uh, uh, family connections he'll like he, there's like a scene where he goes and like looks up his family tree yes. to find that connection <laughs> yes, yes. 
So he can fucking exploit that? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that was so cool and just different because he's such a fucking Scumbag. idiot and, yes. Yes. and yes. a goon. Yes. But there's a point where he like he gets too big for his britches and he, you know, because he's connected to Choi Hung Bae, that he feels like he's the, the top dog. Like he's the, the mm-hmm. you know, the real gangster. And, and that's when things start to fall apart for him is is that that drive to be like the the guy right and and he's like he's almost the guy and, there, and there's a you know, whole there's speech a, there's about moment where they're like they're both kind of the guy but right uh, but he uh, can uh, never firm. he can never share the power there's a whole speech exactly. he has with his mistress where he talks about how he his father Came yeah. in second place in an election, and second place doesn't mean anything. Doesn't mean anything because he, he was yeah. his liberal hooray during reform. He came in second place, but doesn't mean anything because we went into poverty right after. So my dad was right. like, he was a politician, but he was a politician who never won anything. So what's it matter? Well, who cares? And she says yeah. like, well, is I heard Hung Bay is number one. Well, mm-hmm. it's complicated. We're not quite number one, which is actually true because like there's, there's points where like there's lovers Hung Bay who is the real gangster. Who wears the sunglasses? Yeah. I mean, which is definitely the, the the moniker of like who's the gangster, right? Who wears the sunglasses right. the right and way? And he he has all the cool and all the chill. All the that boys, the other one does. All the boys, yeah. Like is it that's, boy? that's the big thing. He has all the the muscle. He he has all the like the legitimate like gangster cred. Yeah, he he has he has all the the resources to back up all the shit that uh, Chow says. Uk Hun is. Yeah is uh is talking right like he he yeah because otherwise it's just talk it's just yeah there's a there's a there's kind of an element where he's even as entrenched as he is in the gangster world in this underworld he's always kind of cosplaying yeah he's always kind of <laughs> playing a character it's never totally he's he's never going to be that guy as much as he wants to be and the way i the way i kind of saw it in my head it'd be like if Matt Damon's character from The Informant thought he was Scarface. Yes. Yes. Well, it, very much so. I, <laughs> uh, Chow brings in his – is his brother-in-law who was the Taekwondo? Um, y- yes. Yes. Guy, who's like, he knows Taekwondo. He's a real badass. And like <laughs> he be- starts to believe like he's a real badass. And that's like his only muscle. And like the lieutenant of uh, Hung Bae is like this guy this whole time who like you can tell is like – a killer, like like a like a guy you would not fuck with. He's like gonna fuck you up, like right, a yeah. real hard dude. And he accuses him of bribes at one point, and the the Taekwondo master of uh, Chow and like Hung Bei's guy is looking at him like, okay, like whatever you say, like I'm not gonna mess with you. And he's pressing and pressing. Him. He says like, I know Taekwondo. And then Hung Bei's lieutenant just kind of goes, okay, whatever, and lets him walk away. And then no Taekwondo just grabs a pair of beer, beer bottles and just. Bashes him in the back of the head and knocks him out and like says like okay whatever taekwondo you know I get to have the beer bottle I win and like walks away and then Chow comes in confronts him beats the shit out of him with a with a phone and then pulls a gun on him with no no bullets that were later revealed <laughs> Hung Bei yeah. comes in and takes the microphone without giving a long speech or anything just beats the shit out of his lieutenant and then calmly says like if you have a problem with the boys like tell me next time. And yeah. like that, like distills the well, that, relationship perfectly, right? Right there, right. Well, that's kind of when the power dynamic shifts, shifts. back again. Yeah. yeah. Well, that that's when it Ukun. Uh, that's when he learns 
right? Like, I'm not number one. Like, right. Fuck. Like, no matter what, I'm never going to be able to just walk in and smack somebody in the mouth with a microphone. Right. Um, He's never going to have that in, that that mm-hmm. level of respect that he feels he's earned. Yeah, and and that's what shifts the power dynamic. That's what uh, uh, sends him to Ken Po. Uh, like you know, I think this is a really interesting movie. Like mm-hmm. uh, the the way it, it's funny because the main character Ikun, he seems to have this idea of what the gangster life is that is more like kind of what we would probably think it is. Like, well, like he thinks it's like when we watch Old Boy. We're like, oh, that's a, that's how it is. Like, that's, that's how it is. You just go and fight 20 guys and you win. That's how it is. <laughs> Honestly, the, the thing that, that I thought was funny was like, uh, so uh, there's a point where Hungbei calls him Debu. Yes, Debu, um, yeah. Which I had to look it up. And, and one one meaning of that is is like Godfather, yep. I guess. And what's interesting, because uh, I recently, over quarantine, watched The Godfather Part 1 for the first time. And it is very much like like that's that's what he has in his mind. Yes, yes. Right? Because yes. Marlon Brando in The Godfather isn't physically intimidating. He's not the muscle. He's he's the brains. Yep. He's, the, he's, the, he's the family. Like, right. he's the one that holds the whole this whole Sicilian family together. So, in... In his mind, it's like, well, that's what I do. I'm I'm related to all these people. I'm connected to all these people. That's my thing. So yep. I'm the guy. He has this very like, you know, I'm the godfather. Like that's what his interpretation of this gangster lifestyle is. Uh, and there's moments in this movie cinematically that I think are even referencing uh, oh, the Godfather. For sure. Yeah. Very specifically. And I'm like, once I like looked up that translation, I was just like, oh, <laughs> like it kind of blew the movie open for me. Yeah. This like, movie has a couple of visual references to Scorsese as well. Oh, that's uh, like, uh, Cassie, uh, yeah. yeah. Like, like when Cassie, he points oh. the gun at the mirror. Yes. And, thank you. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like, and uh, even that scene where he's getting beat uh, half naked and thrown yep. into the thing that comes, that's almost a direct visual reference to casino. Cassie, um, uh, my question is like, is this movie a subversion like Scorsese movies in reality? Like, is that what well, this is? I actually, I had to do some homework for this movie. I, because what I was thinking the whole time, because I'm not as, I've seen a lot of Korean movies. Yeah. Um, but that's basically my connection to Korean culture is what I've seen in movies. Sure, um, yeah. and what I've been able to piece together. And I took a class with a Korean film professor who kind of filled us in on the historical stuff a little. But I, w- I was thinking about, you know, this is a archetypal gangster film. Very much so, um, yes. And, and Korean films, particularly the ones that do well in America are often referencing American cinema. Um, so I'm thinking like the big, the, the big thing about gangster movies is they are a sort of send up or parody or, or a, um, you know, this kind of cynical critique of the American dream and yeah. capitalism. Yeah. So what fuels, uh, criminal capitalism, but neoliberalism basically. And so I had to like read the history of these two decades, the 80s and 90s, oh, to wild. see like what were the economic yep. conditions similar or different to the American conditions that would breed this kind of fantasy, this kind of power mm-hmm. fantasy that is, you know, I, I would think 
sort of uniquely American in the case of the American gangster film. Um, and I, I was able to, you know, Patrick explained it to us with the regime changes and stuff and how the, the gangsters came in, filled those power voids. And, and then, uh, the way that that uh, transitioned to a more kind of standard capitalistic neoliberal Americanized global, globalized economic system in the nineties. Uh, and the way that both of those systems, uh, work were, uh, sort of informed by the fall of the Soviet empire and the, at the time, the fall of communism and the responses from there, both of those governments to that. So all of that, I was trying to read about to try and get a bigger context for how this plays into this like Korean gangster narrative. And it, it does fit in that, in a similar way to like that, that same kind of critique um, of, uh, of, uh, American neoliberalism. So is this a version? I think it is, I think it's referencing. I, I don't think it's a subversion of the American gangster film so much as it's, it like so much of like, uh, South Korean cinema. It's, it's, it's taking like familiar genre territory and infusing it with their history and their culture and their their own socioeconomic woes. I mean, specifically, so, I think of the movies of Bong Joon Ho, which are deeply political, right, on yeah. top of being satirical and on top of being genre films. I, I so I don't know shit about the history of of <laughs> Korea. Um, I didn't research it, uh, but just from the movie, just from the context I have from the movie, yeah, I feel like maybe. Uh, Ukon is as a character is a subversion a little bit yeah because because he's he a feels like he's like Cassidy <laughs> said he feels like he's playing gangster the entire time like he is <laughs> such a fucking doof ass <laughs> uh, uh, just like does not know he he could not say the right thing at the right time if if his life was on the line literally mm-hmm. um so I think him as a character might be a subversion, but like we see the real gangsters doing the real gangster stuff. And that's, I think portrayed pretty differently. Yeah. And I think the perfect symbolism that we see visual symbolism of how these two characters are and who they really are is at the very end of the movie when they're in that, the back of that car. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you know, we have the, the real gangster with the knife you know, jabbed into the other guy's leg, and then he has a gun, but there's nothing in it. Right, yeah. <laughs> like, and that yeah. is the symbolism that, of those two characters. Years ago, like, he already learned a lesson years ago, like, load the gun, right? Like, there was, yeah. like, a, a pretty viable lesson, like, if, if you're going to threaten he, some guy, load the gun, right? Yeah. He's essentially an empty suit. Yes. Yeah. Like, yes. There, yeah. there's nothing there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, that <laughs> that is a really good <laughs> metaphor. Um also, just like the way the violence is depicted is so fucking brutal. Oh, it's so uh, visceral, right? It, I, it's, with, even yeah. when they're like getting hit in the head with a phone or whatever, I'm like, somebody check on the stunt guy for that. <laughs> Jesus, like, like that's a real phone hitting a fucking face sound. Yeah, <laughs> cinematically, the movie does I think a really good job, especially in the first half of it. Like mm-hmm. when they film those interior scenes, when like everyone's my favorite scene in the whole movie is when. Chow comes in to uh, the first meeting with 
uh, I think it's Peng Ho, and they're going to try to negotiate taking over the nightclub in a business sense before they bring all the gangster over to beat the shit out with pipes and you know put a cigarette out on his face and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And yeah. the and the woman sitting there that like you know informs on them later on stuff like that. The lighting is so sickly. They all look have like this like sickly pallor to their skin and everyone's mm. smoking and the room is so bizarrely lit and like it's a perfect visual representation of all this corruption just spreading and making everyone sick because mm. like the, the movie opens i mean like i, I probably didn't do it justice the movie opens like four customs agents just going and shaking down a regular merchant like Opening their their jacket pockets, going, oh, don't put money in my pocket. Oh, I'll put money in my pocket, and like it's the same thing mm-hmm. with nightclub owners. Like this, the same like rigmarole of disrespect, and like just give me money. Like just give me money. Like I don't care what the fuck happens. Like what the regulations are. You know who's in charge, who's not. Even the gangster things. Bungho saying like, uh, um, fighting's part of being a gangster. Like it's going to happen. You know, I'll put my guys in his club. He'll put my guys in his club. Like. Everyone's going to make money. Some people won't make money. And everything's shot so ugly. And they go outside. There's this moment of like just washing out of everyone's skin of looking normal. Like, like oh, my God. Everyone doesn't look like they've had like a layer of nicotine on their skin. But when they, when they go outside, like, you know, the daylight cleans them up a little bit. But then when the the film projects outward, the, the alley is just like filthy and dirty and full of shit and there's like protests going on and like yeah. society's like slowly falling apart and all these guys are just making money off it while it all falls apart it, mm-hmm. it, it's it's shot like i think pretty deceptively well where i it took me about two-thirds of the movie to go oh i get what they're doing like like they're showing like you know these guys are operating in this weird space and mm-hmm. everything else is falling apart around them but they're making tons of money and even at one point when they have a meeting we're like the country's going the right direction. We're making tons of money on this on this nightclub. And then the next scene is like this protest about democracy where like they firebomb a police station. <laughs> like obviously yeah, everything's yeah. not going right in the country. But like <laughs> you're making a lot of money so it works well for you. Right. And yeah. even at, even by the end of the movie, when we see the prosecutors rounding up all the gangsters, yeah. Yeah. they're kind of portrayed – just like another set of gangs gangsters coming, coming in. Yeah, same yeah. thing. Lining up being through yeah. pipes. Yeah, it's yeah. not much different. Uh, <laughs> the people who are rounding them up are using the exact same, same tactics. tactics. Yeah, it's like yeah. extrajudicial. Like yes. Yeah. Beating people with these fucking bats. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Essentially, well, just arresting people on the streets and black bagging them. Yeah, like exactly. Yeah. No well, due process. No well, the nothing. Film, the film opens up. We don't have any idea what's going on. Like. It's someone being yeah. held in a prison, getting the shit beat out of him. You realize, oh, that's a protagonist. Like, yeah. like, like, what's going on? Like, oh, they're, they're they're pumping for information. Oh, the prosecutor is beating the shit out of him, like personally. Oh, that's what's happening. Like, yeah, the movie that's kicks actually off a, a very in- interesting point. Um, is that the prosecutor walks into the fucking prison, and this is before we see all the criminals doing yes. the criminal shit. Yes, he walks in with a a a. a one of those like bamboo bats that you use for um, where are they like fencing bats? Yes, yeah. exactly. What it's kendo like, stuff, yeah. Sword, <laughs> yeah. Sword fighting, and he just beats the fuck out of him, mm-hmm. and he's like, "Tell me what I already know." Yes, exactly. So I can verify my report. That's all he wants. <laughs> yeah, it, it is nothing to do uh, with with a- actually getting the truth of the matter. It has nothing to do with due process. It has nothing to. Yeah. Do, it is just. I know you're a fucking gangster. Yep. Just fucking tell me and save me a lot of work. 
and save you another fucking ass beating. Right. Can I say one thing? Like, I didn't realize how funny this movie would be at, at points too. Like, uh, like, uh, like dark, sure. darkly funny. Like, like, you know, there's about three or four moments where Chow gets so drunk, you're like, oh, he's gonna get the shit beat out of him. But like, he just I thought he was gonna get murdered <laughs> multiple times. times. Yeah, multiple I was like, times, yeah. I, 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 I'm like, I don't know if the the Korean mob is as bad as the Sicilian mob. Yeah. he'd be fucking dead by yeah. now. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, well, uh, but but you're you're right. There's particularly when he uh, when he meets Hung Bei. There's a really funny transition uh, where he's talking all this shit about like you should bow to me. Yes, I'm yes. I'm your elder you. technically by five generations. Yeah, I'm basically your grandpa. Yeah, yeah. and 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 then he takes him. Uh, his his man takes him out and beats the shit out of him. And then there's this quick cut to his. Like dad or grandpa that yes, worked on grandpa, the fishing boat, yes, yes. exactly as he talked about, and it's there's some really funny, funny moments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a great movie, and it's, if, if you're a fan of uh, Korean cinema, specifically action, you know the Korean action movies or K thrillers and stuff like that. Um, this is right up there with them. It is a little, I think it's a little bit more historically dense than yeah. like. Something like I Saw the Devil or something yes, like yeah, that, yeah, yeah, which yeah. you can just like kind of turn yeah. your brain off and just enjoy the plot dynamics. That's Whereas true. This one is a little bit more informed by what was going on at that time. But this this but one's again, clearly not I, made for Western audiences, I don't think. Like, like but, not as much. Yeah, but here's not the thing: I I know I know very little about Korean politics, and the, the you could pick like, up it if you're pick familiar with like gangster stuff yes. I, mean, I think there's yes. enough genre trappings that in enough context clues that you're not going to be totally lost you know yeah. you might be like wait what do you, oh okay that's what you know what i mean mm-hmm. um but i think i think i think the movie is put together well enough that uh you don't need all the context to get what's going on no no i think i think you're given enough in dialogue a little bit you know they fill those gaps in i think there's even like a uh a, a prologue or something kind of explains the history the yeah 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 the historic uh historicity a little bit but it, and ultimately it's about you know the the relationship between yeah. two two people between right these two guys yeah, the, the drama works regardless so yeah, i appreciate right. you bringing this one to the pod um i don't think we said at the beginning but yeah uh, if you want to watch this film nameless gangster you can look it up on tubi which is a free uh streaming site you can uh, sign on as guest you don't even have to make a profile and you can watch it, it you just have to watch ads every now and then but it's worth it. It's this is a good one. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed this movie, and and I probably would have never heard about it had you not brought it up. And mm-hmm. uh, I we also during COVID went through a gangster phase, so a lot of this stuff. Me too. That's where came up. That's where came up on my list of gangster movies to watch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, before I get into all of the stuff, oh, uh, next week, uh, me and Keith are going to be talking about for our streaming homework. Uh, the Killing of the Sacred Deer on Netflix. Oh, that's a wild one, buddy. Yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> that's a wild I like one. Yorgos Lanthimos is a is a nutcase filmmaker. So <laughs> that's a wild. I'm, ex- <laughs> I'm so excited to a, see it. <laughs> that's a wild. Um, but before I get into all of our stuff, Patrick, where can people find you? Tell us the name of your podcast again, oh. and where people can find you on social media. The name of the podcast. Oh, social media is a big problem. Uh, <laughs> the, name, <laughs> the name of the podcast is Consume Us. 
I guess it's all one word, Consume Us Podcast. Just punch that in Google. It'll show up on Spotify, whatever it is. Fingers crossed, Apple, if you're still an Apple podcast person, then be on there. Um, hmm. it, on social media, we have Instagram. It is at Consume Us Pod. And then Twitter, which I'm slowly getting off the ground, is at Consume Us Pod as well. Again, if you want 45 to 50 minutes of hearing me and a British guy from, well, a Welsh guy who lives in Britain uh, talk about like uh, something in pop culture and try to uh, give you the most definitive thing. Er, I'll give you an example. Okay. So this is a film podcast I'm on right now. I should So we did taglines from like movies because like I was mm-hmm. telling him like how I miss like, these be like, in this house, it's going to be a rockin'. Like there was a tagline <laughs> in like the movie poster. Right. So we, yeah. so we made movie poster and taglines like what works, what doesn't work. Um, I ended up being, uh, Cassie, you would know, who is the guy who has the watch and Zodiac, who is the, the killer that they think is a killer? Uh, the main suspect, uh, John Lynch. Yeah. Uh, Andy said that he's going to make a movie where I'm John Lynch as that killer with that watch on, but I teach <laughs> students still, and I still speak creepily about skin diving to kids <laughs> <laughs> in, the, in the classroom. And I said, because he's six foot five, that he will be um, Stephen Merchant uh, walking through the clouds and, uh, and uh, in some high street, <laughs> some high street somewhere, <laughs> teaching people about the uh, knock to, to, to lead into Nigel Farage and Brexit. Like, that's a bad thing to do. <laughs> so, like, if you, if you want some more of that, like, we frame a movie based on those two premises. That's the podcast for you. All right. Uh, and if anybody has anything to say about any of the movies we talked about on this podcast or past, you can contact us at our email at mcguffinpod at gmail.com. You can also find us on uh, Twitter and Instagram at mcguffinpod. Somehow, for some reason, we're still on Facebook, facebook.com slash mcguffinpod. Um, and you can follow me individually on Twitter and Instagram at vccassidy. You can find the movie reviews that I write weekly for the Idaho State Journal by Googling Idaho State Journal Movies. I'll take you directly to the movies page. I find that's the easiest way to find it. And be sure to leave us a five-star review and a one-sentence blurb on uh, whatever your favorite podcatcher is, Spotify, Apple, Google, whatever. Keith, your stuff. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Keith Foster Kid. Um but get off of Twitter. It's trash. <laughs> no one needs to be on Twitter. Um, Keith's mad because I owned him today. No, you did not own me. We, this is for another episode when we do not have a guest present. That's okay. Uh, it's we, fine. Will, we will get into it. Um, uh, you can also follow my art account on Instagram at Sticky Note Aesthetic. Uh, I'm currently doing a, a free giveaway. Uh, my Comic-Con at-home art drop giveaway. Um, if you follow Sticky Note Aesthetic on Instagram and like... No, you don't even have to like. And tag three friends on uh, any of the posts I've made about Comic-Con at home. Just follow and tag three friends uh, at Sticky Note Aesthetic. Uh, you will be entered to win a free 11 by 11 oversized sticky note commission from me. I pay for the shipping. It's uh, as long as it's within the domestic United States. Sorry, Andy. Sorry. Andy. Sorry. <laughs> I, I, hey, but uh, I ship it to me. I'll ship it to someone. Andy. I've done it before. I, I actually did oh. just have someone message me um, outside the United States. Get a hold of me and, and 
We'll figure if you win, we'll figure out what the shipping cost would be. We'll figure it out. Okay. Um, if you're willing to to split some of the cost with me. Sorry. Uh, yeah, I just want to get my Instagram out there. I just want to get my artwork out there, so I, I don't give a shit. Uh, yeah, so check that out. At Sticky Note Aesthetic. All right. And that is the end of the episode as a motorcycle is blasting perfect, past my window. Perfect, perfect. No fireworks, no concerts, no drunken people in the streets, except for me and the podcast. It worked out well. Thank you for your cooperation. Okay, bye.